22. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to begin looking this morning in verse number 15. Matthew chapter 22 in verse number 15. Let's have a word of prayer just before we begin. And you ask the Lord to speak to you. I, I, I feel in many ways we could almost just close the service just about and, and hearing some of the testimony and, and seeing the work that's happening in Papua New Guinea. And as we look into the Word of God, you ask Him to speak to you directly. Lord, I pray that Your Word would become clear to us. Give us understanding. Give us clarity of, of mind and of thought. Uh, Lord, we pray that You would give me uh, clarity in, in the presentation of your word. May I say only what you would have for me to say. Lord, I pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would have full and complete reign this morning. May we search our hearts to see if there be anything that is holding us back from you speaking to us. And may you prompt in our minds and our hearts, may you convict on the areas that uh, we need to uh, step forward in in our Christian life. Lord, I pray for the ones here this morning who maybe have never accepted you as their personal Savior. May you help them to understand that a relationship with you is all that's worth living. Lord, help us now, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 22 is paralleled also with Mark chapter 13. And although we could look at those, uh, we are going to focus particularly and park mostly in Matthew 22 and also in Romans chapter 13. If you want to Keep a bookmark in those passages. We'll be making our way to those as the morning progresses. We'll begin looking in verse number 15 together, Matthew chapter 22. The Word of God says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him the disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man. For thou regardest not the person of men. We're in verse 17, Matthew 22. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? If you move down with me now to verse number 23. The Bible says, In the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Verse 25. And there were with us seven brothers. And the first, when he had married a wife, de uh, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had heard her. Look down at verse 35 now, if you would. The Bible says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Notice Jesus' response after hearing all of these things. The Pharisees, as we see in verse 15. The Sadducees in verse 23. And the Pharisees, once again, the Bible specifying that lawyer in verse 35. And Jesus' response to all of these, he says in verse 42, really in summary. What think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ. I can remember my uh, trip I just took at the beginning of this year was actually a mission trip to the Philippines. And I know that many had taken trips to Philippines. And I, to be honest with you, I love traveling. I was excited to take the trip, but I wasn't quite as thrilled as some other mission trips I'd taken because it wasn't like 
uh, in my mind anyway, it wasn't like I'm going to honestly somewhere like Papua New Guinea. You go somewhere so third world, so outside of the box, it's like, man, this is like really needing something different. So I had come to the Philippines at first with just kind of a, you know, I'm excited, I'm looking forward to the opportunity, but I, I, I don't know that there's going to be quite as much different to maybe some other third world countries that I've been to. And, you know, I, I was go, going there and seeing uh, the, the life which some of the Filipinos have to live and are living through. I think particularly what, what stood out to me was not the ones that live in the villages, in the little huts and the, uh, you know, scrap metals and that sort of thing. But it was the ones who live in, they call the slums. You go down to the back alleys, literally narrow alleys, not much wider than this table, narrow, narrow alleys, and people are walking in both ways. And you're talking like a downtown like we would have, but yet the alleys up behind all of those, you have families upon families living on top of each other. And you're, you're walking in between these narrow alleys, and you have these men and ladies who barely have any clothes on themselves uh, and, and are walking back and forth to you. The stench, you can smell of the sewers up from behind all these buildings. And you walk back there, and suddenly you just see all this scrap metal that's been uh, manufactured in such a way to just um, roof over the heads of all of these different families. And nothing more than just uh, cement blocks dividing them in walls. And they were describing to us families of six or seven people are living inside of these little tiny rooms, uh, hardly much wider than this pulpit itself and sharing these little mattresses, not much bigger than this, than this pew. I'm trying to get you to understand, as I'm seeing this, I'm like, my goodness. And that wasn't even the half of it. As I walk out of these little tiny rooms, uh, you see these, uh, I'm seeing these outdoor water pumps, and uh, there are uh, boys and girls in line, and they're bathing right there. I mean, this is in public. This is uh, not relation. These are other families. And just the, the smell and the... the, the the nastiness and the having to live through. And, I, you know, you go through all of that, and, yes, it causes you to look at things different. Every time I've gone out of the country, you look at, you look at things being in America differently. Uh, but you often ask the question, when you leave somewhere and you come back, somebody says, wow, how'd it go? What did you think? And that was my response in sharing them with all of my experience of seeing, hey, we're such a blessed nation. I want you to understand the question that was asked to me is the same question that was asked from Jesus to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The question that was asked to me and was asked by Jesus is the same question that's asked to you and I as Christians. God asks this question, what think ye of Christ? What do you think of Christ? Hey, I don't know who you are this morning. We've got some visitors here with us. Let me tell you, the, the Bible tells us, that, tells us that we have a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves all mankind, amen? Who's died for all mankind, amen? And the Bible tells us that he offers to you a gift of everlasting life. God offers you an opportunity to spend all eternity with him. My question for you as a pastor at Community Bible Church is this. What do you think of Christ? Do you believe God to be real? Is God real in your life? Do you have a personal relationship with God? You say, oh, I could never have that kind of relationship. Uh, the life which I've lived or my past or uh, you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you, the Bible says God is all forgiven. Amen? The Bible tells us that he has forgiven you before you've even taken thought that you need forgiveness. Let me tell you, the Bible tells us that you can have a relationship with God. 
And the peace which God can give you in the Christian life is the peace which passes all understanding. Oh, I don't know who you are, but if, you've nev- if you have never received Jesus Christ, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have your opportunity to do today. Amen? Let me tell you, there are some today even who consider themselves to be Christians. They say, oh, I go to church. I've been to church for years on years. Oh, I've been baptized. Oh, I used to do this. I used to do that. And with all these works based in what I've done, but nothing about a personal relationship with Christ. Let me ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, if you truly think of Christ as you should, you're going to have a relationship with him. Amen? We were talking to Sunday school this morning about that abiding life in Christ. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. But as a Christian individual, you must choose to then abide in him. God says, abide in me and I in you. It goes both ways. Christian, we're not just, we're, we're not just talking to the non-Christians today. Christian, what do you think of Christ? What is your relationship with Christ? If someone were to ask you that you don't know, what would your response be if someone walked up to you and said, what do you think of Christ? I want you to understand that there's a debate that goes back and forth on three different occasions that we see here as identified to you in verse 15, verse 23, and also verse 35. We see the debate that goes back and forth between the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and Jesus himself. And they're trying to find wrong. Boy, we've all been there before, right? There are people who try to find wrong in what you do. And here Jesus is, he's trying to stay faithful to the will of God the Father, and they're trying to find wrong in what he's doing. I want you to understand that what you think of God will affect the way that you see the world. What you think of God will affect the way that you see the world. You see, all of the questions which are asked to Jesus here in Matthew chapter 22 all concern things of this world. Look at the first thing, if you would, in verse number 17. The Bible says, tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Ah, here they are asking Jesus the question first. What do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? I want you to notice with me, first of all, that what you think of God will affect the way you see world leadership. What you think of God will affect the way that you see world leadership. We're at such a pivotal, pivotal time in our life, and the election is getting ready to come. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. I don't consider myself a political person. I'm not going to get deep into politics this morning. And I don't believe that Jesus was getting deep into politics and his teachings in this passage. What he was simply trying to draw is the thought that I'm trying to bring you to here this morning is, is as he responds in the following of verse 18. Notice, the Bible says, And Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show, ye the, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. Now, I want you to understand, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are Jews. These are God's chosen people. And there's a Roman leadership that's over them. There's a Roman leadership which they despise. There's a Roman leadership which is not treating them right. There's a Roman leadership of so many laws which they don't agree with. And here they're tempting Jesus to see his response. Oh, you're such an all-loving God. Oh, you're such a perfect God. Well, should we give tribute to Caesar? Should we pay our taxes? Should we give respect? Should we honor them? Should we respect the people who are in authority over us, even when we don't agree? This is the question which is being asked among the Pharisees. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us in verse 13 through 14, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Listen to this. For the Lord's sake. 
whether it be the king as supreme or unto governor as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. I want you to understand that every Christian has a responsibility from God to honor, respect the leadership of our world leaders. Amen? You know, we don't always have to agree with everything. You say, well, they're abusing their powers. Well, that, that, that's, exactly, that's, that's exactly right in many cases. But understand this. The Bible tells us, as we're getting ready to look here together, that God has ordained all authority over us. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny and saith unto them, who is this image and superscription? Now, I want you to understand, as Jesus ask, is asking this question, this is like a duh question, okay? Here they've been spending this money uh, continually. They know what it says, okay? And it says something, something similar, understand this, to that of, uh, of what we see on our coins, uh, giving uh, you know, love of country, respect to our country, all of these things. And so for, their, for them to respond is like, like it's out of frustration. It's like, oh, we just answered the question. Okay, this is their, I want you to understand, this is how they're responding. They say unto him, Caesar's. They don't say anything more. It says give tribute to Caesar, okay? Give respect to Caesar. Caesar's face is on the coin, okay? Uh, notice, the Bible says, Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They say, wait a second, oh, uh, but the leadership is going, the, but, 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 the, but the president, but, but the governor, but the, and we, we can give all the buts about it. God says, I have ordained that authority. You know, God himself says, Jesus himself says in this passage, he says, as Caesar is uh, ordained by God, I placed him, allowed him to become in leadership, so you should follow that leadership. Amen? God ordains that leadership. Now, don't lose me here. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, you should have your finger there, Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1 brings us back once again to this idea of higher powers, of governmental authority, of those who are above us. You study the chapter, I encourage you on your own time. Really, the entire chapter con consumes that very thought and runs parallel with this Matthew chapter 22 Look at verse 1 of Romans 13. The Word of God says, Let every soul be subject unto what? The higher powers. For there is no power, that being no authority, but of who? God. It's okay to respond to me, all right? The powers that be ordained of God. That word ordained means appointed of God. God says all of us as Christians are to be subject to the authority that's over us. Why? Because God has allowed those people to be in that position. God, is, God permits leadership to be in the leadership positions which they are. Somebody says, oh, well, what about the, the debates? What about the presidential uh, elections coming up? What do you think about the, the President Trump? What do you think about uh, Joe Biden? What do you think about all these things? We always want to know the what's and the ifs and the buts. Just understand this, God's principle. And, the, and if you want to know my opinion, I'll tell you on a, on a personal note. But understand this, the Bible tells us in verse number one, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Why? Because God has placed, he's permitted, he's allowed them to be in that point of position. May I say there are so many Christians today that have absolutely no respect for any of our leadership. Amen? 
Do we not see that in our society today? We're not just talking the non-Christians. We're talking about Christians themselves. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're from. The Bible tells us God has ordained the authorities and the governments, the national leaders which we have above us. God has given us those. Even when they misuse their power. Even when they abuse their power. The Bible tells us that God has a purpose to fulfill even through those. God has a purpose to fulfill. Now, I've not been through, in my lifetime, I've not been through that many presidential elections, but I can remember in the few that I have seen that even among Christians, there's such a debate among Christians. Oh, it's the Antichrist. Oh, the end times are coming. I'm not saying that we're not facing the end times. Don't misunderstand me. But let me tell you, sometimes as Christians, let's be honest, sometimes as Christians, we draw conclusions so back, so far back, that there's nothing but evil that comes out of it. And let me tell you, there are leadership, national leaders today that, uh, that are above us that some of the decisions that are made, they aren't right. Amen? There are some decisions that are made that aren't biblical. Amen? We know those things. We should be aware of those things. At the end of the day, our obedience to God should be the first and foremost obedience. What I'm trying to tell you is, as God says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. When you obey national authority, you're obeying God. Because God's designated that authority over you. And God says, here's where the rubber meets the road, as we will see in Romans chapter 13, that unless those authorities, unless those authorities cause you to be in a disobedience to God, that's when it becomes your place to stand. Steadfast, the Bible says, uh, uh, we are to be earnestly contending for the faith, the book of Jude, okay? That's where we are to contend. You, mean, you understand that word contend, it is the idea of a, of a butting of heads. We're standing in our place for what is right. Don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying we have to obey all authority and that we shouldn't stand in our place in a, as a Christian, because the word of God clearly says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith, stand for what is right, amen? Stand for what we know to be true, Hey, if, if God is being clearly spoken against, if our freedoms of religion, our freedoms of, of speaking for Christ are taken away, we should stand in our place as Christians. But in all that being said, God has ordained the authority over us. And may I encourage you and challenge you, Christian, let's make sure we give the respect. Render to Caesar to whom Caesar, to whom is Caesar. Render respect to whom respect is due. Amen? God has ordained that authority. So we understand that all world leadership is appointed by God. Look at verse 2 of chapter 13 in Romans. The Bible says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance, there's that word again, or that appointed, that God-appointed position. You resist the God-appointed position of God himself. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. In other words, here's what God's trying to say. Hey, you're worried about what what wrong leadership is happening, God's going to take care of that. Amen? Uh, sometimes it's unfortunate to say, but as Christians, sometimes we forget who's in control. Yeah? God places people in leadership. You say, well, what about the election? I, I don't care who is elected in the end. God's, God has a purpose behind it. Amen? Uh, you say, well, you don't care about the election. That's not, we're, this is exactly what the Pharisees were trying to get all frustrated about. Well, let's think about the details at the end of the day, we know what's right. Yes, Christian vote. Let me encourage you. Side note. 
make sure you vote. It's our place as Christians to vote. It, you, should be, you should have your point in the community and your say as we've been given those freedoms to do. At the end of the day, no matter who, no matter who's in leadership, it should never be said of the Christian that we have anything less than the love of Christ being shown in our testimony towards them. Amen? We'll look at that more as we progress. The Bible tells us that all world leadership is appointed by God. Notice with me, secondly, the Bible tells us that all world leadership is responsible before God. Here it is. You say, well, what about well, God's going to take care of it? You leave it in the Lord's hands. You keep praying. You stay faithful to God. You do what you know is right. Stay forward with the gospel. Earnestly contend for the faith. Let God take care of it. God's in control. Amen? The Bible tells us in verse 3, we see that world leadership has a resp is responsible for, number one, national safety. World leadership is responsible. Say, well, they're not taking care of me. Well, they're not doing right. They're not taking care of the people as they should be. God's in control. Look at verse 3. For the rulers are not a terror to good works. In other words, understand this passage. God is giving us his original intent when ordaining the authority of governmental leaders. Here's his original intent. Verse, intent. verse 3. Some don't obey it. Some do. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be not afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Look at verse 4. For he is a minister of God to thee for what? Good. You see, God's intent in world leadership is that they do good towards the people to whom they're leading. You say, well, they, they didn't do their place. I've got to speak my mind. Hey, you make sure you're in the testimony of Christ. Amen? You make sure you're keeping the right testimony of Christ. The Bible tells us God's intent for national leadership is to help and protect the community even when some of those national leaders don't do it. Amen? Notice the second thing. We are to be, the world leaderships are to be responsible for punishing criminals. For punishing criminals. Look at verse 4. The Bible continues, for he is the minister of God for good, uh, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the what? Minister of God? What? Somebody says, wait a second, I thought that's just the preachers behind the pulpit. No, God says, I've ordained that authority. They're, they're the people I have placed there to accomplish my purpose. Notice it continues. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. God's intent for national leaders is that those who are doing wrong would be, receive the consequences for their wrong. Even, that's God's original intent, even when some national leaders don't obey that. That's God's original intent. Somebody, you see, what I'm trying to help you to understand is God has established, God has created, God has given the leadership which we have today. It's God's intent in what he's doing. Somebody says, oh, well, Satan's really at work today. Well, you know, Satan doesn't do anything without the okay from God. Study the book of Job. You'll find that out. The Bible tells us that the leaders are to be responsible for national safety, for the punishment of criminals. Number three, we see in verse six and seven, they're responsible for national wealth. Verse six and seven, for this cause, pay ye tribute also, that is concerning taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing, Render. You understand that word render means to pay off or to, or to deliver. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom 
to whom custom is due. The Bible tells us the issue is simply that God's intent for Christians is to pay where our payments is due. We've all known and heard of Christian individuals who would refuse to pay their taxes. I will not pay. This is not right. The taxes are too high. I don't agree with the authority. At the end of the day, even God's word itself says, pay tribute and custom. Pay where your dues. That's my intent for leadership. There is a purpose behind all of that, even when the power is abused. So understand, uh, beyond just uh, uh, application we're giving here, this is, this is Bible teaching I'm giving to you here, okay? The Bible tells us that there is, he, had an, he has an intent for world leaders, and his original intent was that they be responsible for national safety, for the punishment of criminals, for national wealth, even when it is abused. Notice the end of verse 7, and I, and I uh, did not touch on for this reason. The Bible says, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That word fear is not the idea of shriveling fear. It's a on respect and value and authority. That's the idea of that, that understanding fear and honor. Let me put it to you in black and white. Whoever the president whoever may be elected as president in 2020, November, the Bible tells us that we are to fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You may not agree with everything that's done, but we should respect that authority, authoritative position as the president of the United States. Amen? God ordains, God ordains that authority. So, oh, well, the people got to vote. Well, that's true. The people do got to vote. Christians should take their position. But at the end of the day, God allows it all to happen. And at the end of the day, we have our part. Fear to fear, honor to whom honor, and render respect to Caesar, if it's Caesar, God to whom God, because in respect to that authority and honor to that authority, respect and honor to God himself. The Bible tells us, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So when you have the right view of God, it will affect the way that you follow government authority. It will affect the way that you follow the world, worldly leaders. It will affect the way that you see them. Because you no longer see it as, oh, look at that person, look at those things I don't agree with. You'll see it as God's intended position. Now, I'll be honest with you, I hadn't intended on talking about uh, all these things that string into politics. But when I studied this passage, I was like, wow. You know, if, if God's speaking to anyone, he's speaking to me. Because I can find myself sitting and watching the news and, and uh, being so carnal in my, in my mindset, in my voice. Come on now, you guys know what I'm talking about. Don't act like we're all so spiritual. We know what's happening in the world, and we, we can get, allow ourselves to get in the flesh by just sitting and watching. And um, turn with me back, if you would, back to Matthew chapter 22. We'll look at the second thing here. We understand that when what you think of God will affect the way that you see world leaders, but number two, it'll affect the way that you see the brevity of life on this world. It'll affect the way that you see the brevity of life on this world. Verse 23 of Matthew 22, the Bible says, The same came to him, the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. Understand that the Pharisees, they would hold to the law and believe the Ten Commandments, sacrifices, the law, all the Old Testament uh, uh, order of things. They believed that was so necessary that if you didn't abide by the law, then you weren't a Christian. That was the Pharisee side. The Sadducees, as we say, that it is sad, you see, okay, because they do not believe in the resurrection. And here they're asking about the very thing which they don't even believe in. 
Boy, if, if, if someone with any common sense uh, beyond Jesus Christ had realized that they're asking about the very thing which they don't even believe in, that, that they, they really weren't paying attention. Because Jesus notices here and he, what's being said, and they're asking concerning the re resurrection. They say, okay, well, we know that according to the Old Testament, uh, according to what's been instructed in the law, that, uh, that if a man passes and his wife is left, that his relative or his seed is to uh, carry on, to take that position. That, is, that was how they did things in Bible times. And we know that they're supposed to carry on those positions. Well, they gave him a specific instance. He says, they said, this specific woman had multiple different men uh, that, that uh, had passed, and, and their relative, and, their, and the, the, the one to follow came and, and took her as wife, and there was still yet no seed, and she passed. And, and they said, well, when the resurrection comes, when God comes back for all of his people, when we all go up to be with Christ in heaven, Who's actually going to be considered the husband of her? Because <laughs> she's had multiple husbands. Oh, boy, we're going to get Jesus this time. This is to understand. This is, this is their way of looking at it. And the Bible tells us as Jesus responds, he brings them not to the direct answer of the woman or the men. Because let me tell you, at the end of the day, as Jesus tells us, none of those things are going to matter. Amen. Understand all relationships change when Christ returns. Look at verse 29. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. Have you not studied the Word of God? He says, Nor the power of God. For in the resurrection neither they marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, the Bible tells us that man was made lower, a little lower than the angels. That being understood that where the angels have a supernatural uh, 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 ability to them in the sense that they're living with God and, and they've been uh, given that distinct position of God, man was given dominion over this earth made just a little bit lower than the angels. You remember even the description that's given of man uh, was, was found in God himself. In Hebrews, the Bible tells us that Jesus became lower than the angels themselves. God's, uh, God had a distinct creation in purpose in man and we understand this that creation uh, the god's creation of man and all that has happened after sin itself will change when we go to be up with christ in heaven see god's bringing them not to the nitty-gritty i want to know the specific answers he said just understand this if you know god's word in the end all things will change yes you'll know who the former spouse was you'll know people but hey you won't have any other desire, Christian. You won't have any other desire to do anything else than focus on your relationship with God. Amen? The Bible says, let's focus on what is really important here. Revelation 21 and verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there shall be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. God will... All, the, all, all of the desires of this world that mankind has ever had will change when we all get to heaven. The Bible tells us when we go to be with Christ in heaven, the only thing, that the, the, the focus, the, the central matter, all glory and praise will be given to God himself. Yes, there will be fellowship with other believers. Hey, I, I, what a dream it is to consider the opportunity to sit with, 
with great men of the faith like Moses and, and sit and have conversation with Jonah and say, how is it like in the whale? And, and, and sit and have conversations with other people within the word of God. But understand this, that everything's going to change. We're not going to care about anything more than giving honor and praise to God. Hey, Christian, that should cause us to think about this earth. There's no desire in this earth. There's no relationship on this earth that is any more important than your relationship with God. Amen? Let me tell you, Christian, sometimes we give too much focus on our job. Amen? Not enough focus on God and our relationship. Sometimes we give too much focus on our family. Say, well, family's important. Well, family is important. Amen. God tells us we should give place to family, but not over God. We talked about politics a moment ago. Some people give more attention to politics than they do to God himself. The Bible tells us, as a Christian, let's understand that our life on earth isn't that long. And for the time which we have on this earth, let's focus on the relationship that truly matters. Let's focus on God. And let's stop worrying about what's it going to be like here, what's God going to do here, why didn't this happen, who's going to do this. Let's just understand, your life isn't going to be on this earth forever. What are you doing with the life that you have on this earth? You see, what you think of God will affect the way that you see the brevity of life. Christian, you don't have that long in this earth. When all is said and done, your life comes to an end, you stand before God in the re on that resurrection day, and you stand before the Lord, will he say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Hey, listen to this. Or will he say, oh, wow, look at, all the, look at all the fields that you farmed all throughout your life. Oh, you worked in that factory, and wow, you worked over at that place. Wow, you're really good at mechanics. None of that will matter. Amen? God will not say, oh, wow, look at all the children which you had. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And uh, Look at all. None of those relationships will matter. I'm trying to tell you, God himself is saying this. All that matters is our relationship with God. Amen? Christian, let's give, as, as, as we get, would have been told by God to give respect to the position of our governmental world leaders, so we should do the same towards our God Jehovah in heaven. Amen? The Bible tells us the third thing, as we see in Matthew 22, and also continuing in Romans 13. The Bible says in Matthew 22, verse 35, in the beginning, the, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? He says, oh, we've got ten commandments. Thou shalt, not have, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't you know all of the, uh, thou shalt not kill all the Ten Commandments? Not coveting, not lying. Don't, uh, what's the most important, God? Okay, so we're supposed to give attention to our relationship with God. Okay, so we're supposed to give respect to the leadership that's over us. Well, tell me, God, what's the most important commandment? The Bible tells us in verse 37 some amazing words which Jesus gives to us. If you haven't marked these verses, I would encourage you to do so. The Bible says in verse 37 of Matthew 22, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, on these two commandments 
hang all the law and the prophets. I had a teenager ask me once, really almost did the same thing the very lawyer did, and he came to me and he said, uh, we talked about Ten Commandments in a youth activity one night, and he came to me and he said, uh, uh, Pastor Stephen, he said, um, the Bible says in, in, uh, in this passage that the greatest commandment of all is love. So uh, why are the Ten Commandments really that important? Understand this, this is the very same thing that God's trying to help the Pharisees and the Sadducees understand. Governmental authority, Ten Commandments, everything else in life all hinges on one thing, love. Amen? That's what makes it all possible. You say, how do I obey the authority when I don't agree with them, when they're abusing their power? Love. You say, how do I, how do I keep the right relationship with God as I should and, and, and understand the, the brevity of life and keep, keep everything right with Him? Love. God says, if you love God, if you love Christ, if you keep your love relationship right, everything else will take care of itself. Love. God says it all hinges on your love for God and your love for others. That's all that matters. That's how you obey. That's how you live for God. It's no coincidence that Romans 13, after talking about all of these uh, world leaders, in Romans 13, verse 8, notice the Bible tells us that love governs everything and should govern everything within our life. Look at verse 8 of Romans 13. Owe no man anything but to love one another. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Here Paul has just finished talking about, oh, respect, give honor, uh, uh, fear, the authority that's over you, and then he, he helps us understand how do you do that? Love God. When you love God, you won't help but love others. And when your love relationship is right, you won't care about anything else. There's no other desire, there's no other relationship, there's no other thing on this earth that is more important than our relationship with God. And so the Bible tells us that Christ-like love is always owing. Christ-like love is always owing others. The Bible says, owe no man anything. It's talking about, he just finished talking about paying tribute. He says, don't borrow money which you're not able to give back. God said, he's bringing this thought of love. He's saying, hey, if you just simply love, you'll understand this, that love, there is a debt which we as Christians have in love. Love's always giving. Love's always giving. In other words, <laughs> this, is, this is hard to say sometimes for Christians. You pay, we pay our taxes, yes, out of obedience, but more especially because we love God. Amen? We obey the governmental authority that's over us, yes, because the position's honorable, but more importantly, because we love God. We give our focus to God before everything else. Why? Because that is the love relationship which must be had. And so the Bible tells us that a Christ-like love is always owing. Notice with me, secondly, a Christ-like love. And lastly, it's always genuine. It's always genuine. You understand that the debt of love is so large that when God told Peter, thou shalt forgive 70 times 7, he's saying, keep loving, keep loving, keep loving. That's all that should matter. This is how big, how much a responsibility you and I as Christians have to show others our love for God and our love for others. Amen? The Bible tells us love is what hinges it all together. How do I have a right relationship with God? Love. The Bible says Christ-like love is always genuine. Look at verse number 9 of Romans 13. 
For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is what? The fulfilling of the law. <laughs> how do you obey and do what is right? Love. Hey, how do I know how to live the Christian life? Love. It all hinges on it. Amen? It all hinges on the love of Christ. As we understand uh, that God has given us the greatest example of love. The Bible tells us God is love. So His love should be seen in our lives. What think ye of Christ? Because what you think of God affects the way that you'll see world leadership. Oh, it affects the way that you obey it too. What you see of God affects the way that you see your own life. Nothing on this world will matter when we all go to be with Christ in heaven. And what you think of God will, expect, will affect the responsibility you have to this world. It's simply found in that four-letter word, love. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be loving Christians. Lord, may your love become the central focus of our lives. May your love become all that is seen by everything we say and do. Lord, I pray that your love would, uh, would help us to understand that every following position of leadership, every desire we could have on this earth, is all possible when functioned through your love. I wonder if you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor Miller, I know in my life, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you'd say, Pastor Miller, I know in my life when we talk about love, maybe it's towards leadership, maybe it's in your own personal life, but you say, I've not been hinging what I'm doing on love. I've not been hinging what I've been doing on love, and God has spoken to my heart. But I need to be doing what I'm doing for no other reason than because I love God. 